0: Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national and international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live. On 3 the program is podcast. So if I have a coughing fit and you're disgusted and you turn off, don't despair. The program is podcast. If I survive the coughing fit, it will continue. 3cr.org.au. It's 1st of May. May Day. What does it all mean? Why is it important? Why has everybody forgotten about the 1st of May? I know there's a public holiday in Queensland, and I think West Australia and the Northern Territory. There's no public holiday in uh, Victoria or New South Wales, if I I got that correct. I know there's no public holiday in Victoria where I live. And uh, the traditional... uh, What happens here in Victoria is people march on the first Sunday after May Day, which will be the 5th. That's right, the 5th of May. But... Not to be, be outdone, we actually, us anarchists, we always celebrate May Day on the 1st of May and we've been celebrating since uh, 1886. Now, if you want to know what anarchist is all about, it's not just about celebrating May Day. Anarchos without rulers. It's about The anarchist struggle is a struggle to create a, a society without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers obviously is important, steps. There's no biblical kind of analogy or nothing in the quran or the uh, torah or the hindu sh- or the hindu scriptures about it not even in uh, it's about creating a society without rulers and how do you create a society without rulers you devolve power which means you share power you break down hierarchy and you share wealth so simple concepts you want to live in a society without rulers you're involved in the struggle to improve people's lives you're in the struggle to involve uh, to improve pe- people's decision making processes then whether you know it or not You're an anarchist. And the good news is, you won't grow horns or a tail. That's for capitalists. Now, let's move on. The 1st of May, 2019. So where it all began? Well, I'd just like to start off right at the very beginning of dispossession and colonisation in the land of Australia. Now, the first reference in any of the historical records to people taking matters in their own hands and working collectively and together, whereas in when in seventeen ninety one, three years after the colonization process began, the convicts assembled in a tumultuous manner to demand rations to be issued weekly, not daily. You like that? The convicts assembled in a tumultuous manner. They began to understand that what direct action and solidarity was all about. If they worked together, they would be able to achieve some of their demands. In 1804, there's the Castle Hill Rebellion, uh, which occurred in Sydney town, and ten men were hung including the leader William Johnson, for their troubles by the authorities in a rebellion which many people see as some type of Irish uprising. But the underlying issues were issues about access to food and the type of harsh working conditions that uh, convicts worked under at that particular point in time. Now, you've got to remember that convicts were free labour. You didn't pay convicts. They worked for nothing. A little bit like work for the dull, you know? A little bit like work for the dull. We've got that, you know, long-standing tradition. Now, the first strike that is in the literature, and it is very hard to find out this type of information because obviously the history of the country is uh, written by the winners and as we see, the history of uh, colonisation has been written by those who stole uh, Indigenous people's lands. The history of the working class in this country has, to a significant degree, been written and rewritten. Those that exercise power and concentrate wealth in their hands, you know, to uh, sing their own praises. Now, unpaid convict labour was the type of labour that was used for over four decades in Australia to expand the British Empire, unpaid convict labour. Now convicts didn't migrate here, they were forced here. They were put on ships, many died on the passages across, many died when they arrived here, and they were put on ships for the most ridiculous crimes, like stealing a loaf of bread. And although there were hardened, ugly, nasty criminals amongst the convicts that were sent across, the great majority were basically people who were convicted of economic crimes, because at that particular point in time, as a result of the French Revolution across the Channel, the English royalty and English ruling classes were shitting themselves in their pants. And every time... You know, somebody tried to stand up for themselves. They attempted to squash it. So the first strike I can come across was one which was organised by James Straitor, Straiter, S-T-R-A-I-T-E-R. er S-T-R-A-I-T-E-R, in 1822. Now, I'm sure you old folk out there know all about... Hannibal MacArthur the richest man in New South Wales the biggest squatter the biggest landowner the the biggest dispossessor of Indigenous Australians the biggest employer in inverted commas of convict labour whose wealth and reputation were linked to dispossession and the use of unpaid convict labour in 1822 James Strater organised a strike, a MacArthur's property in New South Wales at the height of the lambing season. And he was charged with inciting his master's servants to combine for the purpose of obliging him to raise their wages and increase their rations. So obviously the wages were for the ticket of leave men and women who were basically out on parole, and the rations were for the convicts who still you know, hadn't achieved their ticket of leave. So I'll read out again, because there are some very important... These are the exact words of the charge. Inciting... His master's servants, they weren't workers. We had a servant-master relationship, something that a lot of employers would like to see brought back in 2019 and something which the Liberal National Party governments have achieved to a significant degree in changing the balance of power between the employer and employee. So inciting his master's servants to combine, the word combine, working together, working in solidarity. Just like the conv- convicts in 1791 and 1804 worked collectively to improve their lot, Mr. Strater was charged with the heinous, horrible, evil crime of inciting his master's servants to combine for the purpose of, of obliging him to raise their wages and increase their rations. Although I understand the strike was partially successful because if you strike at the height of the lambing system, he's got a real problem. And he does have to listen to his servants, Mr. MacArthur, and his overseers. So what did Mr. Strater, Mr. James Strater, get out of this Do you get an Order of Australia? No, Australia didn't exist in those days. Was he freed as a convict? No. Was he paraded up and down the streets of Sydney as a hero? No. Was his name etched in the history books of this nation? No. Does anybody remember him? No. But for his activities in being involved in organising the first strike in Australia's history, he was sentenced to 500 lashes of the whip. 500 lashes of the whip. A sentence which would destroy any man and kill most. And after 500 lashes of the whip, you back and shoulders and arms would be a seething mass of bleeding, tortured, broken flesh and muscles with the bones exposed. Most convicts were given 50 lashes of the whips or a 100 lashes if it was a heinous crime. But Mr. Strater received 500 Lashes He was also sentenced to one month's solitary confinement on bread and water So after the 500 lashes And he was Let off I mean tied he's, He was let off the uh, the poles he was tied to And collapsed to the ground His body was picked up Bleeding And he was chucked into this hole for a month. Could you imagine the filth and the rats and the possibility of infection, septicemia and death, and a ration of bread and water? And if he by some chance survived this punishment, which was a legally endorsed punishment, he was to spend the remainder of his sentence in a penal colony. Like at Port Arthur in Tasmania. And what was his crime? Inciting his master's servants to combine. For the purpose of obliging him to raise their wages. And increase their rations. In the late 1820s. I think it was about 1826. Six labourers. From Dorchester England swore an oath and they tried to form a union for agricultural workers. For their troubles, the Tollpuddle Martyrs, as they were called, were sent to Australia as convicts. But... The resistance to the sentence was so huge in England, the English ruling classes concerned about peasant revolts quashed the sentences four years later. And the whole part of of Matos, many of which were sent to Port Arthur in Tasmania because they were considered to be the the most dangerous of the dangerous because they had actually tried to form a union, were sent back to England now, as the number of migrants arriving in this country increased, there was increasing pressure on the colonial authorities to stop transportation of convicts to Australia. And it wasn't until the late 1840s, early 1850s, that transportation ceased. But during this period, workers that had skills began to combine together in short bursts of activity to improve their working conditions. And in 1824, we saw a Coopers strike in Sydney, and a Coopers strike. Coopers are people who are, you know, put together barrels. Very important people in society in the early 19th century. And in 1829... Mr Wentworth, another great man whose name is etched in history, a man who used convict labour. The typographical workers, those who set the little typographical plates on the Australian, went on strike to improve their situation. Now trade societies began to be formed in Sydney and the first trade society, which is the forerunner, of trade unions was the Sydney Shipwrights Trade Society. And this is people with skills came together and worked collectively to bargain for an improved rates, not just of pay, but improved working conditions and decreased hours. So many unions came and went during this period because obviously it was almost as impossible as 2019 because even during this period we had what was called the Master's Servants Act or the Indentured Act or the Apprenticeship Act. And apprentices were indentured to the employers and if they ran away, irrespective of the reason they ran away, they were jailed. But things were moving, things were changing. The Eureka Rebellion in Ballarat in eighteen fifty four highlighted to the colonial authorities that with the influx of people looking for gold across Australia, they couldn't use the old ways. They couldn't use the lash. They couldn't imprison people, you know, for trying to work collectively together, that they needed to listen to working people. And in 1859, Charles Jardine Don was the first manual worker, the first worker, the first member of a trade association who was elected to the Victorian Parliament in 1859 as the member for collingwood he was a stonemason he worked during the day as a stonemason and sat in parliament at night because there were no wages for parliamentarians at that particular point in time and only the rich could afford to be parliamentarians but the emerging trade union movement decided that it was time to move into the political arena in 18 on the 1st of october 1855 the Sydney stonemasons who'd combined together in a trade association won the eight-hour day, not the 40-hour week, but the eight-hour day and the six-day week under the slogan eight hours' work, eight hours' play, eight hours' rest. And on the 21st of April, 1856... Melbourne stonemasons left their job at the University of Melbourne and went across to all the major building sites in Melbourne, including Parliament House, which was being built in 1856, called all their members off the workplace and quickly won the eight hour day because they worked collectively. There was no more fret from unpaid convict labour as the convict system of deportation to Australia had come to an end. So today I'll be, that's the 1st of May 2019, I'll be at the Eight Hour Monument in Melbourne at the corner of Russell and Ligon Street, with other activists, other anarchists, other radicals who celebrate May Day. And the eight-hour monument was erected in 1903 by the sculptor Percival Ball as a direct result of a public subscription to erect a monument to the eight-hour day by Melbourne Trades Hall Council, which was the first Trades Hall built in the world. That's right. Well, Ballarat was the second. But the people of Ballarat had it all on the people of Melbourne. They actually erected a monument, which you can still see, to the eight-hour struggle in 1858. The trade union movement grew from strength to strength. And by 1891, the sheerest strike on the East Coast caused major shifts in the political political ways the society, how the society was organised in 1891. Now, workers had been celebrating Labor Day, which is different to May Day, since 1871 in Sydney, when the stonemasons, the bricklayers, the carpenters and the builders' labourers joined together under the banner celebrating uh, Labor Day, union is strength united to help. And if you go back through the archives and the records and you look at the marches to celebrate Labor Day, you will see thousands, if not tens of thousands, of workers and their families and supporters taking the day off and holding marches through the city. Reminding those that exercise power, reminding those that own the means of production, distribution, exchange, and communication that they and they alone are responsible for the creation of wealth. Without labour, money is irrelevant. Totally, 100% irrelevant. So, where does, all, where does May Day fit into all this? Where does May Day fit into all this? And why do Australian anarchists, especially Melbourne Victorian anarchists, consider May Day, the 1st of May, to be their day? You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. <coughs> this program is streaming live on 3 cr My name is Joseph Foscano I'm hosting today's program The program is podcast You can access it by going to 3cr.org.au May Day The facts Not the Fake news But the facts And although Only a few dozen people will be celebrating May Day in Melbourne Maybe a few thousand in those states where May Day is a public holiday. It's important to understand the history of May Day and why it's so important to anarchists and other working people and radicals in this country. The history of May Day, both internationally and in Australia, is interlinked with the history of the anarchist movement, international anarchist and Australian movement. In 1884 at a conference of the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada, which was held in the United States, the conference decided to launch an, in, an intensive campaign, their exact words, for an eight-hour working day that would accumulate in widespread struggles on the 1st of May, 1886. Now, although skilled workers had gained the eight-hour day in Australia and many other parts of the world, semi-skilled and unskilled workers were still working 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 hours a week. And especially with the factories which were being built and the Industrial Revolution which was chugging along, labour was desperately needed. Cheap docile labour was needed and the last thing that employers wanted was a labour force that was unionised and combined and worked together Heeding that call for the 1st of May 1886 to be a day of international struggle demonstrations were held across the United States and Canada to mark the 1st of May, 1886. In Chicago, over 30,000 workers went on strike and 80,000 took part in the demonstrations, a huge number for that time. And that was a struggle about the eight-hour day. In Melbourne, little old Melbourne, little old Australia, On the 1st of May, 1886, David and William Ondrade, heeding the call of the Federated Trades and Labour Unions of the United States and Canada, launched the Melbourne Anarchist Club, Australia's first anarchist organisation. So Australia's first anarchist organisation was launched on the exact day the first May Day was held. And let's not forget, the sun rises over Australia before the rest of the world, if you exclude New Zealand. Now, that first May Day, that first act, was David and William Andrade forming the Melbourne Anarchist Club to herald in the 1st of May, 1886. Now, back in Chicago... On the 3rd of uh, May, two days, after, or three day, two days after the general strike and mass demonstrations across the United States and Canada, workers protesting outside McKay Harvesters in Chicago were shot. Four were killed, dozens were wounded. And why why were they killed and wounded? For having the audacity to combine together and agitate for an eight-hour day and improve working conditions. Chicago anarchists organised a protest meeting at the Haymarket Square for the next evening. The rally was non-violent. As the rally was breaking up, police as they normally did, Charged into the remaining few hundred demonstrators. Someone threw a bomb at the police lines, killing one police officer. The police panicked, firing indiscriminately into the crowd and at each other. Seven police and four demonstrators were killed, and over 100 police and demonstrators were wounded eight prominent Chicago anarchists were rounded up and charged with conspiracy to commit murder. Not committing murder, conspiracy to commit murder. Although only three of the eight, Albert Parsons, August Spies and Samuel Thieden had actually spoken at the rally. The other five weren't even at the rally. All eight That were charged with conspiracy to commit murder were found guilty. Albert Parsons, August Spies, Samuel Fielden, Michael Schwab, Oscar Nieby, George Engel, Adolf Fischer, and Lewis Sling. I think it's important that we remember their names. Seven were sentenced to death and one Oscar Neeby to 15 years in prison. August spies George Engel, Adolf Fisher, Albert Parsons were hanged on the 11th of November 1887. That day again, the 11th of November 1854, the formation of the Ballarat Reform League the forerunner of the Eureka Rebellion. 11th of November, 1880, the hanging of Ned Kelly at Melbourne Jail. 11th of November, 1887, the hanging of four anarchists in Chicago. The 11th of November, 1918, the end of the war to end all wars, which was fought by workers at either end of the campaign for the glory of God, king and country, not democracy or freedom or equality 11th of November 1975 the dismissal of the Whitlam Labor Government I wonder when the next 11th of November auspicious state will occur now Lewis Sling committed suicide in his cell the night before he was to be hung and Samuel Fielden and Michael Schwab were both sentenced to life in prison Now, surprise, surprise, a number of years later, all eight men were found to be victims of widespread hysteria whipped up up by the Chicago Yellow Press, the Hearst Press. That's right, the Yellow Press, forerunners of the Murdoch Press. And it was later proven that all eight men had nothing to do with the bombing And those executed and those imprisoned received a full pardon. A full pardon. The Melbourne Anarchist Club held May Day meetings and lectures in 1887 and 1888. Three years later, on the fourteenth of july eighteen eighty nine, John Norton from Sydney attended the, first, the second international in Paris, who decided and these were all the labour organisations across the world, to make the first of may a day a great day of international demonstration for workers' rights. So that very meeting where that decision was made by the Second International to make the 1st of May a day of international demonstrations on behalf of working people, John Norton from Sydney represented the Australian trade union movement, although Australia wasn't a country at that stage. May Day was celebrated in Victoria at the offices of Dr William Maloney who was the Radical Labor member for the seat of Melbourne for over 45 years at his offices in 1890 and 1891. And in 1892, sorry, I've got ahead of myself, the first May Day march that occurred in Australia occurred as a result of the Shearer's strike. And over a thousand men, women, and children, six hundred on horseback, celebrated May Day, the first of May, in Barcaldine and Ipswich, in Queensland, at the height of the shearers' strike in 1891. Eureka flags were flown at this first May Day celebration, and there are quite interesting accounts, eyewitness accounts. The procession was led by four strike-break leaders, strike leaders wearing blue sashes. Remember, the blue was not the the colour of royalty in those days, it was the colour of struggle, the blue from the Eureka flag. In uh, in 1893, moves were made in Queensland to have the eight-hour day celebrated on the 1st of May instead of March. And that occurred in Melbourne. Well-known Melbourne anarchist Chummy Fleming, who which Chummy Lane in Carlton is named after, held the first May Day meeting and march from the Birkenwills Monument in Melbourne to the Yarra Bank in Melbourne on the first of May, eighteen ninety-two. The march was led by two men carrying huge red flags. In 1893, Chummy Fleming, putting his anarchist principles into action, called a meeting of radical activists in Melbourne, from across Melbourne, to organise future May Day celebration. Now, Charlie Fleming was a bit of a character and a bit of a wild card he was the only man I know who's been jailed for, uh, in, uh, in Australia for being involved in a library dispute. That's right. Uh, the working people of Melbourne felt it wasn't good, especially when they were working eight, six days a week, that they didn't have access to the Melbourne State Library on Sunday. And Chummy Fleming refused to pay his fine for uh, being involved in demonstrations and he was sentenced to a month's imprisonment for actually being involved in that. But they won that struggle. Now, at the end of the 19th century, marvellous Melbourne had become a place of squalor. Not only was there a great deal of homelessness and despair and unemployment, there was even starvation in the streets. Chummy Fleming, near Princess Bridge, jumped onto the running board of the Victorian Governor, Lord Hopeton, and uh, told him about the plight of the unemployed and the poor and the homeless in Melbourne. The Governor listened and said, how can I help? And Chummy Fleming asked him to provide food for the unemployed. and He said, I can't do that. But I've got, six pa- I've got six cases of French champagne in my cellar. I'm happy to donate that to the unemployed. And there are pictures in the mid-1890s of Chummy Fleming donating 60 bottles of champagne in his boot shop in Ligon Street to about 6,000 people. Talk about the Lowe's and fishes. I wonder if he had the same help from the Lord that Jesus Christ did. But that's a different story, which has got little to do with uh, May Day. Now, Chummy Fleming died in 1950. He took part in every day, every May Day demonstration, although during the 1920s he wasn't very welcome because the May Day march had, was basically uh, dominated by our Stalinists at that particular point in time. But he always participated, starting long before the march started, but walking very slowly so the march caught up with him. And when he died, his only wish was that his ashes be scattered on the Yarra Bank on May Day. Now, the following year, as May Day approached, nobody could find his ashes. So the, so the butchers' union was asked to, you know, bring some ashes. This this lad arrived, this huge tin. I mean, are those of you who have had uh, family cremated or friends cremated? Well, no, it's not that. <laughs> you don't get this huge tin. So it was a very windy day in 1951. And as the ashes were thrown into the wind, what were purported to be Chummy Fleming's ashes were spread among the crowd of people that were coughing, like I just did, and spluttering. As his ashes... Or some poor animal's ashes went up their noses and ears and mouths and eyes. So Chummy Place in Carlton still bears his name. And uh, if you want to learn more about him, the State Library of Victoria is a great place to go. So why, why do we bother? Why do we bother? Why do we bother 133 years later to celebrate May Day on the 1st of May? Why am I bothering to waste my afternoon by going to the eight-hour monument at midday with a few other few dozen radical activists and anarchists to celebrate that day? Why do we walk to Her Majesty's Theatre at 219 Exhibition Street? Because Her Majesty's Theatre held the office of the Melbourne Anarchist Club. When the Melbourne Anarchist Club was formed in the 1st of May 1886 they needed offices and they were able to get a room in the Her Majesty's Theatre on the third floor. Although the current Her Majesty's Theatre is not the original Her Majesty's Theatre as that burnt down in a fire. So today we will be congregating on the 1st of May in Melbourne at the Eight Hour Monument at the corner of Russell and Victoria Street. At 12.30 we'll walk across to Her Majesty's Theatre to pay our respects to the members of the Melbourne Anarchist Club. And then we'll be uh, crossing the road, there must be at least 22 metres journey to the Paramount Food Hall, basically a food hall uh, for a quiet lunch, May Day lunch. And if you are still in the mood for celebration, uh, tonight at 6pm, from 6pm to 9pm is our May Day dinner at La Porqueta's at 395. Ligon Street, Carlton North. So you're welcome to all of those events, but there's no catering. You buy, you pay for your own food and drinks. But you can just come along and have a cup of coffee. You don't have to you don't have to eat. So mark the hundred and thirty third anniversary of the Australian anarchist movement, mark the hundred and thirty third anniversary of the uh May Day uh in this country and around the world. So why? Well May Day and to a lesser extent. Labor Day, because it's been legislated out of existence, but May Day honours the sacrifices of all those men, women and children involved in the struggles that occurred around industrialisation when the peasants were forced off their common land to be, to be used as factory fodder for the new emerging capitalist industrial capitalist class. And every little thing, from the right to vote in an election, from the fact that some people still receive overtime payment, although it has been removed, from the fact that people can still join trade unions, although it's becoming more and more difficult as time goes on, because of laws which basically criminalise legitimate trade union activity in this country, whereas a trade unionist... You have less rights in many quarters than somebody's imported a billion dollars worth of crystal meth. That's right. Legally. So every little thing you think about, health care, public education, public infrastructure, public roads, public entertainment... The fact that we do have a taxation system where the rich are sometimes taxed, although it doesn't seem to apply to Facebook and Google. The fact is that all those little perks, all those little things that you have at work are the result of the struggles, the blood, sweat and tears of men, women and children over decades who have won those rights for us. And today in two thousand and nineteen we have forgotten. Anzac Day is about less we forget. May Day is about we have forgotten. We have forgotten that everything we take for granted, even the fact that, you know, the everybody public housing, everybody's business crowd was on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House this morning at eight AM to nine AM to highlight that issue. We have forgotten That right would not have existed without the efforts of tens of thousands, if not millions of Australian men, women and children involved in industrial workplace community struggles. And we've seen the trade union movement join community struggles during the Green Band days of the Builders' Laborers' Federation. And we have seen... That it's those industries that are unionised, that work collectively, that have the best outcome as far as working people is concerned. And those people who are forced to bargain individually or who are browbeaten into not joining a union or not employed because they're union members, find that all those rights and liberties and financial bonuses and public assets which you can access have all disappeared with the increase in casualisation, with the refusal of people to pay award rates, with the importation of cheap labour for the very purpose of stopping the trade union movement from working in particular areas. And the list goes on and on. So on May Day, we honour those men, women and children, many of whom died, many of whom were pilloried, many of whom were ostracised, were blacklisted, were never able to work in their chosen field because they had the audacity to stand up for the people around them. So on May Day, we remember them. And I encourage you to join me and many other activists and radicals and anarchists, Wednesday, this Wednesday the 1st of May at the Eight Hour Monument at midday and if you can't make it this year there's always next year and the year after and the year after as long as one or two or three of us remember that day May Day will continue to live but more importantly it's the spirit of May Day that will continue to live Listen to the Anarchist World this week broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network Now I'll just move on to a few other little issues before we disappear now i don't know if people have you know noticed what's been happening in sudan i try to keep up to date because we are seeing one of the few social revolutions that we have seen in the history of humanity it's not just an economic revolution it's not just a revolution about overthrowing a dictator it's not just a revolution for bread it's a revolution for a change of life a change of way people interact. And two days ago, the Sudanese Islamic Brotherhood, which was instrumental in introducing Sharia law after the 1989 coup which saw saw al-Bashir in power, we have seen that conference close down by demonstrations who want to see the end of Sharia law in Sudan. As I speak, it looks like there's been a failed coup in Venezuela where the opposition aided and bettered by the United States government has been pushing and shoving to overthrow the Venezuelan government. And we saw an attempted at coup today. And this struggle is not finished. Now, if you are interested in following this up, there is a gathering down at uh, the Maritime Union of Australia at uh, 46 to 54 Island Street in West Melbourne at 4pm. Entertainers, it's a $20 entry fee you know, to assist the uh, Venezuelan people overcome this particular hurdle are now facing because if you read the mass media you would think that the current government are mass murderers Hmm? sometimes you've got to read between the lines but getting back so keep your eye on the Sudanese revolution and what's happening in Venezuela because they are indicators of what people can do when they work together the thing about the the Sudanese revolution the social revolution is it has no friends the United States Saudi Arabia the United Arab Emirates, Britain, France, Iran, all terrified. They're terrified because they're seeing people power in action. If it wasn't the junior army officers and rank and file soldiers in the Sudanese army, this would have finished long ago in a bloodbath. But people are holding their nerve and we, we offer them our support. Now, public housing. We're going to hold a 24-hour demonstration on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House to mark the winter solstice, the 21st of June, from midnight to midnight. That's a Friday. So put it in your calendar. Take the day off of work if you're working. If you're not, midnight to midnight, the shortest day of the year, possibly the coldest day of the year, to highlight the growing problem of homelessness and couch surfing and inability to acquire access to reasonable accommodation in Australia, across Australia. If you go to the hashtag, hashtag steps to a home. Why steps to a home? Parliamentary steps, change of legislation, use sales tax revenue, sorry, use um, stamp duty revenue from the sale of homes for public housing. House 15% of Victorians in public housing within a decade. Simple slogan, simple solution to what is becoming an intractable, complex problem. So if you're into this, you know, the game of uh, go hash, hashtag steps to a home. And that's the and that's the steps to a home, Parliament House steps, steps to a home, changing legislation. As I keep saying over the last two years, it doesn't need a revolution. It doesn't need a social revolution. It just needs a majority of votes in both houses of parliament to make public housing a central issue in this country, not just the state of Victoria. And talking about unacceptable governments, yeah, you've got to hand it to the people of Saudi Arabia, President Groper, Trump's major ally in the Middle East, only you know, major ally after Israel in the Middle East. Just execute, as I said before. 36 people, public beheadings, mostly Shia Muslims. And one poor human being who'd been beheaded, his body was publicly crucified to act as an example. These people have worse than the Islamic State. They are responsible for some of the most worst atrocities in the history of the planet, in the history of the 21st century. They are behind many of the terrorist outrages which occur around the country. And they continued to be supported by the United States government. Well, the thing about human rights is, I hate to tell you, they're universal. They are universal. As the Sudanese people struggle against the yoke of Sharia law, wanting to overthrow that yoke, we begin to understand that Human rights are universal. They are universal, and they apply to everybody, irrespective of cultural norms, irrespective of language groups, irrespective of religious belief, irrespective sexual orientation, irrespective of our uh, race. Irrespective, they are universal. Universal. And many people have forgotten as we kowtow, you know, to all these horrible cultural practices like genital mutilation that human rights are universal and they transcend religion, they transcend culture, they transcend sexual orientation, they are universal. And I am proud to be part of that struggle for universal human rights. You'll be listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. We've had a special May Day program. Hopefully, if you can't join us this year, you'll join us next year. The 1st of May will be there next year. So uh, join us on the 1st of May. Celebrate it on the day it falls on. do not I mean, you can celebrate it on the Sunday after or, you know, the next Christmas. But celebrate on the date form falls on. And we celebrate it to pay our respect and honour all those men, women, and children involved in those numerous struggles over numerous decades to give us what we enjoy today. It wasn't given to us on a platter because we begged and beseeched, it was given to us because we combined together, we worked collectively to ensure that our needs and the needs of our children and grandchildren are put before the needs to create profits for a small group of people. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. That hashtag for the winter solstice campaign, Steps to a Home, Steps to a Home. You can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, Anarchist Media Institute uh, webpage, anarchistmedia.org. You can join public interest before corporate interest. That's right, for the many, not the few, although I've noticed the Greens have stolen our uh, slogan for this election, so good luck to them. You go to pipsy, pibci.net pipsypibci.net. Yes, I occasionally answer phone calls, leave a message on 0439 395 Yes, we still need $1 stamps. We're on the verge of sending out our big Pipsy mail-out. It's going to cost us about $1,200. We've got about $800 in stamps. We need about another $400. we are nearly there. We're ready to go. And don't forget, regular listeners of the anarchist world this week in Melbourne, the 3CR radio phone is on the 12th of June. That's right. Just round the corner, collect your pennies, do what the rich and powerful do. Claim a legitimate legal tax deduction for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station. Thank you once again to the Community Radio Network for broadcasting the Anarchist World this week across Australia. Listen to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station next week. Evil minds that plot destruction Death construction An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist Wall this week. Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist Wall this week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh large